Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm excited to share and showcase my friend and colleague Deepa Prahalad, who is an author and design strategist. She's worked with startups and large multinationals and co-authored the book Predictable Magic, which was selected by Fast Company as one of the best design books of the year. She writes frequently for the Harvard Business Review, Strategy and Business, um, Business Week, and many other major publications. She's an elected member of the International Academy of Management and was ranked number 34 on the inaugural Thinkers 50 India list. She's also a member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100's Coaches Program with myself and deeper mentors, leading social entrepreneurs, and serves on several advisory boards. She's got a BA in economics, a political science and political science from the University of Michigan, and an MBA from the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. I don't know about you, Deepa, but I'm exhausted. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Morag. It's wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, as with all episodes, this is about our leadership journeys. So we know that you're a design strategist, you're a published author, you you write copiously. Let's flash back to when you were a wee girl and the teacher says, Deepa, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you were living your childhood dream right now, what would you be doing? I guess I'm one of those rare people that uh, took a little bit of, uh, added a few things, but the core hasn't been that different. I really started out wanting to be a journalist. Um, I read, started reading super early and I always had my nose in a book. So um, I, writing seemed like a natural fit to me. And my intention was always to show, you know, the, the good and bad side of the world, what was possible. And I think design actually does that. It's something I came into much later, but it's, it feels very complimentary and natural. Okay. So when your nose was in a book as a child, though, was it design thinking that you were reading about? Or what were the genres that caught your attention? Oh, right not at all. I really <laughs> was always drawn to novels and biographies. Um, really... And I think they do fit into the whole design journey pretty well, because I think a lot of biographies gave me an insight into how people start to think about their lives, what they want to be. And a lot of novels really help you understand what is the cultural context? What's the real world experience? How do people maybe have the same experiences you have and view it so differently? And how do the support systems around them change the results? And those are a lot of the issues that you do have to think about in design as well. So I can see a copy of your book, Predictable Magic, behind you. And I can see now the connection between being a passionate reader and, a, and enjoying the writing side led to the book. But you talked there about experiences. So help me understand, just to start with, how does innovation and emotional connection, how are those two concepts related? Well, it's interesting because I think we're all fascinated with a lot of these shows like Shark Tank where you're just mm. like, wow, this great idea. And we have this, you know, image in our head of, of covering entire walls with uh, post-it notes as a, a signal of our genius. But there's a long process to actually synthesizing and creating something tangible with all those insights. And Unfortunately, even the best companies, um, as much as we talk about experiments, it's a painful process. And, um, you know, there's a lot of missteps um, along the way. So the, the stats on successful innovation in established markets and categories are not great. 
And when you're really trying to do things that have never been done before, that make people uneasy and uncertain, that's where the emotional connection really comes in. If you look across categories, people choose products and services in a similar way that they choose friendships. They look for that sweet spot between familiarity and trust and novelty. And that is what some of the elements are. So you see that really good design does two things very well. First, it, it makes people feel good about themselves, mm-hmm. makes them feel confident in taking on a challenge, makes them save time, whatever it is that is required to give them more agency. And the second thing it really does is it great design today, especially is, is shareable, especially if you're an entrepreneur or something, you can't be the one touting virtues of your own product. You have to have other people doing that for you. Okay, so I was going to say, say more about that. It's shareable. Help me understand. Well, you know, you really look across categories today. It's something as simple as toys, all the way to very high-tech products. A lot of us look to our peers to help us understand how best to use them, you know, help capture the excitement. You even see things like unboxing videos Mm -hmm. on YouTube all the time. So that engagement really begins even in the research process. I was looking for a new laptop recently and trying to decide, um, you know, different models of, of Macs. And I had already limited it down to that, but I watched so many videos of people saying, this is what I liked about it. This is what I'm able to do in version, the past version versus the new one. And so you look to people to guide you in that. So companies can help that process along by creating elements that are easy for people to understand and explain. And it doesn't even matter the price point anymore. People have amazing videos on makeup techniques, how they've combined toys from different lines, and people of all ages participate in this process. And I think that's one of the really exciting things because today companies can also have that customer intelligence with them as they're designing their next round. It's interesting, as you say, all of those unboxing videos, who knew? that that would be a career in of itself. And what I liked from what you described there, it is it's engaging the the hearts and the minds. It's the emotional connection for the innovation and possibility of what this new thing is going to be, but with some grounding of what is familiar and I'm used to. So it reduces the fear of the new and makes us, yeah, not masters of uh, our... um, new new experience, but at least not feeling like the complete novice and out of our depth. So I'm curious, I'm working with an engineering firm right now that has been talking about the need to innovate in their industry for a number of years. And being engineers, part of what makes them special is sustainability, predictability in the environments that they're working. So how do we help people and teams to get started with the idea of deploying design and innovation in an industry that might be used to moving a little slower? Yeah, I think that's the point that good design does. Essentially, a lot of things that good leadership does is it helps helps you understand what's coming and helps you prepare for it. Um, And I think reducing barriers is a huge thing. I think with design, simply the comfort level of what this is going to do. We all see the benefit of, um, you know, something that helps save us time and effort. And so I think helping understand what the rewards are. For example, with design, 
there's very clear business results from this. Okay. I think great design does a few things. One, it transforms market sizes itself. Market sizes are not fixed. I mean, look at the old clunky cell phones that weighed, you know, three to four pounds. It's yeah. just as well. I mean, we know the inventor of the first cell phones, Marty Cooper, is here in San Diego. And he always jokes. He said, well, you know, it's just as well that um, those early phone calls could only last about two minutes because people used to get tired holding oh, the phone. <laughs> in about a bonus workout. Uh, there would have been an upside. To that. <laughs> <laughs> so he always yeah. jokes about that. But it's true. But when you see the evolution to creating meaningful features and functionalities, now the addressable market is so different, right? I mean, it's in the hands of the richest to poorest around the world. And it's really transformed something that was once a want into a need. And the second thing is, I mean, even if a lot of companies today are going for things like social impact, making a difference in the world, that doesn't happen with good intentions alone. So, you know, the idea of Indian independence existed for probably 60 years before Gandhi ever came into the picture. It was the creation of the spinning wheel and also the creation of a narrative about self-sufficiency that made it possible. And I think mm -hmm. all of us are inundated with data uh, nowadays. So we all kind of have the 80% um, picture on a lot of societal trends. For example, you know, you know that there are a lot of divorced couples, there's a co-parenting culture, there are gay couples, there are all of these things. A good consultant could maybe give you great precision on the obvious, but what a designer would do is say, what's the implication of that? Oh, I need to put a diaper change facility in the men's bathroom. It's going 10 mm. levels below to help people cope with that change rather than simply describing it. I love that. So can you give us some other examples of the connection between design and inclusion? Because there's somebody, again, who had a stay-at-home dad, and as you are saying, ch diaper changing in a <laughs> men's restroom, it just didn't exist. And so you're, you're in a dilemma, but it's becoming more popular and more common, thank goodness. But what other, what other examples do you have then for that connection between design and inclusion? Yeah, I think it extends with everything from policies to the physical environment itself. So simple things like, okay, is there handicapped access? You know, what are we saying? Whether you use those things or not, people file that in their brain as a proxy of, am, am I going to be respected when I have a different idea, mm -hmm. right? I mean, who am I asking? Who am I testing when I'm designing a new product or service? What's the target market? So I think, a lot of times when we study history, we see explicit signs that are saying, you know, no colored allowed or no, I mean, very discriminatory signs. And I don't think people put up those signs anymore today. But the way a lot of things are designed send essentially the same message and people do pick up on that. And so changing that entire thing. So something as simple as a video camera. Mm -hmm. Before the flip cam came around, a lot of video buyers and video equipment used to be very heavily male-centric and dad-centric. I'm the one carrying the bag and I'm the one capturing the family memories. And when the flip cam came around, they said, no, our market is going to be people who need to capture a moment. And so we're just going to have three basic design principles. One is it needs to be point and click, super mm -hmm. simple, and it needs to be easy to share and just easy to record. And if you look at even the way it was placed in a lot of stores, 
you know, it was near some of the baby goods and they mm -hmm. had it in multiple places. It wasn't only in the electronics. Mm -hmm. So those things, um, you know, people pick up on this subconsciously. And that's why that idea of making people feel very comfortable with something they found intimidating is what really great design does. See, I like that, that what you've described there. I've, I have one of those old Betamax cameras. I'm even dating myself by using the word Betamax. <laughs> And design and good inclusive design isn't just, it isn't actually anything to do with make it pink. It's thinking about average hand size and making sure that the weight is something that everybody can manage. It's thinking about the left-handed versus right-handed um, population and how are they going to use the scissors, et cetera, which are predominantly designed for, for right-handed folks. And that's how you start to affect change. So how does design come into play then at a societal level? Well, I think there's really, you know, design as, as really a statement about intentions and capabilities. So we saw just, you know, this past week, Amazon and Elon Musk launching into space. And that's important on many levels. A lot of what they discover will eventually make its way back into, um, you know, consumer markets, just like the first space missions. We all got our Teflon coated cookware out of that, uh, <laughs> that whole mission. Right. I mean, a lot of these things, um, you know, people, once they've had time to process, become very useful to all of us over time. But what that does is it inspires people in terms of what is possible. It gives us increased trust that, okay, if somebody could manage that, they can probably help me manage um, my own life and I can trust them on some of these other projects. So those are incredibly important, not just for individual firms, but for countries as well. You see that there is a very clear picture in your mind's eye when you talk about Scandinavian design or American mm -hmm. movies. I mean, those are, are globally relevant and they do play into, um, you know, really the prosperity and the amount of innovation individual countries have. But there's also an issue of how do I design systems that ensure equity and ensure fair play? You know, what what's the legal system look like? What does, how do we distribute vaccines? How do we distribute um, help when people are in need. Mm -hmm. All of those things are what I would call more design as a tool of social justice. And different countries have, how, how does the healthcare system organize? What, who is, is worthy of protection and, and care? Um, and I think that a lot of systems are, are designed differently. And that's a huge field, you know, that changes the outcomes in, um, in all of our lives. So do you see design as being something that is more the arena of the entrepreneur or the is it part of the sustainable 100-year business? Oh, I think it's absolutely both. So, I mean, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're an established company, I mean, design is often the difference between people telling you you have a great idea and placing an order. It's, it's mm -hmm. that important, right? Because I think we can all even in cases where we all agree on broad goals, what we're judging is the execution capability. People look at your design as a measure of your sincerity and your capability. And I think that point is often lost. It's not purely about aesthetics, right? I mean, and when people say like, well, I, I wanna do something about sustainability. I mean, well, what is the policy? How have they changed their processes? And I think it's gonna be more and more important 
now because when companies and even individual entrepreneurs are making pledges and not fully knowing, you know, how am I going to get there? But they're saying, this is important enough. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to trust that they will figure it out. And we, we look to what they're doing right now as an indicator. Um, and, and I think it's, it's only going to grow from now, really looking at what is the statement and what's the reality. Well, you mentioned two things there that triggered a thought for me. One is that good design is the difference between, oh, yeah, you have a pretty or a nice product and placing the order. But then you hit that critical word of trust. So how do you build trust with design? Well, I think there's there's really two elements to design. One is the physical design of the product or service. And the second is the narrative around it. Why was this created why is this important? Um, you know, why is this issue worthy of someone's attention? And what a lot of good design does when it builds trust is really match that what is the design and what is the story? There has to be a fit between the two. So if you look at leading even nonprofit organizations, you know, they're also very high performing. They have to be absolutely clear about strategy. And this is what difference I'm trying to make in the world. And this is exactly where your money is going. And this is how I'm going to do it. So it makes very little difference, whether you're an entrepreneur, a nonprofit or a for-profit or even a government. I mean, people are judging what is the fit between the story and the reality. And that point of removing barriers um, and taking headaches away from people can be every bit as important as making something cool. I always tell people, like, don't only concentrate on what your passion is, right? If if everyone was passionate about washing dishes, we would not have dishwashers today. And <laughs> so, you know, just taking something off people's plate often gives them the time and the space and the confidence to do other things. And that has tremendous value as well. So, It seems to me that design isn't just, I think about my phone, of course, there was a desire at one point, keep making them smaller and shinier and slipperier. Of course, what that meant was they were harder to hold. So we now have the protective case that gives it a decent, solid traction in my hand. So it comes back to not just how does it look, but how does it feel? And throughout everything you've shared, it's not the what necessarily, it's the emotional connection. So what's the business value then that comes from this emotional connection through design? Where do I begin with this? I mean, this is interesting because I think people always have done this in different ways. But what you really saw, I think, um, you know, about a decade ago when Apple was suddenly like tech industry, this should be very functional. This is engineering driven. This is feature driven. No, like the suddenly people realize the experience and, you know, the, the connect really mattered. And it has only grown since then. So I think a lot of people are now suddenly looking much more seriously at usability. Am I taking people on this journey um, to doing different things? There's a, so much in digital experience as well. But if you look at, you know, long-term data from firms that have invested in making people feel loved. So if you look at a business classic like Good to Great, Jim Collins said, who are the people returning superior stock returns and what are their practices? What can we learn from that? 
There's also another book called Firms of Endearment uh, by Jagdish Shade, David Wolf, and Raj Sisodia that said, let's approach it the opposite way. Let's just ask people, what companies do you love doing business with? And there had to be an objective measure. I mean, would you drive out more? Do you share your story um, of your interaction? And they took those firms and said, let's look at their stock performance. And what they found was very interesting is that people who actively invested in, in making people feel loved and cared for and, and everything, they, they had a steady performance over a three-year period, outperformed 1.7 to 1 over five years, and 3.1 to 1 over 10 years. So it's a very significant difference because you're capturing the intelligence of how your customers are evolving. They feel comfortable sharing that with you. And we are reading all the time about how different sources of advantage are depleting and we, we're going to get disrupted every six months. Emotional connection is one of the very few sources of advantage that actually grows over time. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting um, finding. And, and we all know now that people who are feeling emotionally connected and aligned with a brand do a few very valuable things. They buy more. They visit more often, they care less about price, they pay attention, they follow your advice, and they help spread the word. I mean, what more could you ask for? You're creating evangelists. Although the process is difficult, the payoffs are certainly worthwhile. So capture the hearts, the minds, and the wallet, yeah. and then everybody gains. So I know, Deepa, you're invited to speak at industry events. You're consulting with organizations around the world to help um, increase the momentum of their design challenges and thought processes. As you look to the near future, what are you most excited for and passionate about as you look at the innovation that is coming our way? I think people are now understanding that they have to explicitly have conversations about difficult topics. And one thing I think people have not fully appreciated is that today a lot of firms are are creators of common ground because we don't have, we have fewer institutions and fewer political leaders who speak to everybody. And so now it's really companies by providing shared goods and shared services you kind of create the space for shared values and shared experiences and conversation. Because as much as I, and I can really relate to this because, you know, although I'm I'm ethnically Indian, I grew up here, I don't speak any Indian language well. So there was always, even though you're going to a place that's, that's familiar in your mind and you feel connected to, very hard to have conversations because of this huge gap in experience and language. And today, the cell phone has completely changed that, right? I mean, you can show each other pictures, you can tell jokes, you can do lots of things that were not possible um, a decade ago. So that isolation is is very different. I really remember traveling with my son when he was a baby and he was a little fussy. And there was a woman in all the tribal gear, literally, in the airport. And she just looked at me and smiled and she started playing some music uh, from Looney Tunes. And both of our kids began dancing together. And I said, this is a huge, you know, moment for me that, wow, like a product was the thing that allowed us to create common ground and empathy. And that's something that I think is really inspiring. Although it's difficult, um, you know, really, we're asking people to change a lot all the time and making that process 
comfortable and relatable and yes, somewhat predictable <laughs> um, is, is a huge um, asset that we can, you know, have going forward. Okay, well, Deepa, as we come to the end of our time together, in addition to encouraging everybody to read your book, Predictable Magic, how else can people learn more about your work and your thought leadership around design and design strategy? Well, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Deepa Prahalad. And that's a it's a mouthful. So we'll make sure <laughs> yeah, we, we give you that information. Um, you know, happy to help anyone connect. I think the important point is that design is similar to where leadership was 20 years ago. People used to think that this was something you either had or you didn't have or you were naturally inclined to. But now we understand that leadership is about a set of behaviors, a way of communicating, and design is similar. There are a lot of steps that can be learned and mastered, and you can help guide the process very effectively, even if that is not your background. Just like managers make decisions about software and IT, they can make really great decisions about design that align with their values. Well, Deepa, thank you again for just sharing just a, an iota of your wisdom <laughs> and experience and tales. And I hope that it inspires a few people to get in touch. But thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.